Hi, and welcome to another episode of the Glam Reaper podcast. I'm your host, Jennifer Muldowney, aka the Glam Reaper herself. On today's episode, we've got this really, really interesting guest. I mean, I probably said that a bit on my guess, but David is definitely someone who has been through trials, tribulations. He has an incredible resume. I just find him a really fascinating guest. He has sent me on the book we talk about in this podcast episode. I only just got it there recently, so I will be reviewing that and we'll have a follow-up episode with David. But this is definitely one, if you need some inspiration in your life, you don't want to miss. Hi, David, and welcome to the Glam Reaper podcast. I am intrigued to hear all about your story, the triathlons and marathons, and I'm going to let you fill us all in on it. I'm fascinated by it, especially with what I do for a living. Um, I think it's going to be a really interesting conversation, and I hope all my listeners and watchers will think so too but it sounds like you've lived an incredible life sounds like you've lived a hundred lives for most of us have managed to just about survive this one so yeah please introduce yourself david sure and i'm just getting started i mean what what can you do right Mm -hmm. well thanks for having me on jennifer i appreciate that and i've only bragged to about a hundred people about the unbelievable name that you gave yourself in your podcast i mean it's really it's really it's ridiculously (laughs) clever and unique thank you I'm going to tell all my friends that I was able to speak to the glam reaper. <laughs> That's just the best. Thank it really you. is the best. <laughs> so tell us, I mean, your story is so crazy. You're an author, a public speaker, an entrepreneur, and a philanthropist. Yeah. I mean, you're so many things, but you've just written a book called mm-hmm. The Cycle of Lives. Cancer, obviously, is a huge feature in what you're doing. I mean, all the Iron mm-hmm. Men. I, I ran a marathon once. I will never do another one again. And so I want to hear why you're doing all of these crazy yeah. triathlons and Iron Men and stuff. So, yeah, like, tell us what's what drove you to write the oh book. Oh, my goodness. Yeah, start at the start. Oh, okay, I'll start at the start. Well, I guess there's lots of beginnings and lots of starts. But the, the start of the start, I think, for me was in about, like, 2003 or so 2004 I had just um, had a number of things that brought me to a a point in my life where I realized I was really going down a wrong path and not the wrong path like I'm a drug addict or you know I you know abandoned my family nothing like that but just I lived my whole life trying to please others and who, who can't identify with that you know you you work harder to make your boss happy you you try harder to make your spouse happy. You know, you don't do things for you. You know, you want your teacher to think you're good. You want your employees to respect you. You know, you're always looking for other people to give you the validation that you're doing things right. I kind of was that way in my life. Then I also, I was in an abusive and, and terrible relationship. I had to get out of that. I had young kids. I had lots of stresses at work. I was overweight. I was a smoker. I wasn't athletic. I let stress consume my life. If, if, if I, somebody didn't give me a hole to climb out of, I dug myself the hole so I could climb out of it. You know, I was just a mess. And uh, all of that was kind of coming to my consciousness at the same time as my sister called me up and said, uh, Hey bro, I'm uh, just been diagnosed with terminal brain cancer. And I went, ah, I mean, she's got limited time. And then I guess we all have limited time. And, you know, I mean, if you're going to be here, you might as well try to do it on purpose. And 
you know, take charge of yourself. So that was kind of the start of that part of my life. That was the start of that part of my life, like kind of opening up and trying to do things for myself rather than to please others. So, um, yeah, I started running, started biking, started swimming. It's good to uh, do those things instead of smoke. And sure enough, I, I found myself uh, being drawn to endurance athletics. So I started doing longer things like marathons and 50 mile runs and hundred mile runs and Ironman triathlons and all this crazy stuff. And I wrote a book about that called winning in the middle of the pack. And that thing did really well, but I really wanted to, when I, when I came into the world of seeing people dealing with really severe trauma, especially the trauma around cancer, which is very traumatic, right? I mean, you're around death all the time. Death is, it's, it's nothing we can't really wrap our brains around, but then also shroud it in the mystery of cancer. You know, one person's healthy and gets cancer and dies nine months later. The other person gets cancer and continues to smoke and drink and lives for another 50 years, right? It just doesn't make any sense. So it's mystery shrouded in mystery. And um, in relation to the traumas that we've all had in our lives, um, losing a parent, being abandoned, um, making bad decisions, how does I wanted to find out how did those trauma, uh, those traumas in our lives affect the emotional journey of cancer? And I might be wrong on this because I'm talking to an expert, but I do think if we are lucky enough to get to the end of our lives and reflect, which oftentimes a lot of people that go through a cancer journey are able to get to the end of their lives with some reflection, there's really only two things that people, everything else bubbles downward. The only two things bubble to the top, in my opinion, um, and in my experience, and that is people's joy at the deep connections and meaningful connections they made in their life, their friends, their family, their loved ones, the people that they've connected with and the joy that came with that. The other uh, thing that happens is the regret. And it's regret of the people that they didn't form more meaningful relationships with. They let petty things get in the way. They never told somebody they loved them. They did whatever, right? So when, when you get to the end of the life, um, if you're fortunate enough to be able to look back, it's those meaningful connections or lack of meaningful connections that kind of mean everything. And so I thought if I'm able to find a bunch of really evocative, interesting, inspiring, thought-provoking people, get deep into their heads about their traumas, understand how those traumas affected their journey with cancer, and tell that story, I figure that the reader might be better equipped to understand what people are going through or what they might have gone through so that we can help form more meaningful and deeper heart-centered authentic relationships with the people that we care about because we're going to be better equipped to have those conversations. So there you go. Wow. That's the, yeah. that's the start, the middle, and the, the Yeah, the, absolutely. The, well, the end. End. Yeah, it's, I mean, there's a couple of things you touched on there um, that I, I want to ask about. I, I guess rewinding back to the start, um, you know, what the way you described yourself going down that, that dark path as such, 
honestly, I'd say resonates with probably everybody listening. You know, we've all felt overweight. Half of us probably smoke. I definitely drink. You know, there's a lot of things that we want to improve and we want to change about ourselves. And it's actually one of the things that I, I'm actually writing my third book about is how death inspires us to live our lives more fully. And you're a prime example of it. It's It can be hearing about the death of a loved one, hearing about the potential upcoming death of a loved one, even if that inevitability doesn't happen straight away. Um, it's dealing with the process. It can be doing your own funeral pre-plan and facing your own death, which I'm a big fan of, because I do feel like it, it allows us to fulfill our lives a lot better. So do you think that was really the turning point for you was being faced with that? death in your face sort of made you I mean you turned your whole life around by going from being you know not doing anything um to like these iron men and the you know marathons and all this yeah you know some people probably I don't know they're maybe more aware or maybe more advanced than I was I just I, I was always pretty aware but I I don't think i I was really good at solving equations, but I couldn't put a simple two plus two together. Right. Like, oh, you want to be healthier? Stop smoking. That's pretty simple. But I didn't even hear that equation until, you know, my kids were four years old. I had twins. They were four years old. I didn't really understand that equation. Right. And so you just know what you know when you know it. And you don't know it before then. But there were a couple of things that happened in my life that gave me some awareness or empathy or allowed me to kind of solve the equation that that is the truth, that there is a limited amount of time that we have. And if you're given the ability to live a more purposeful, meaningful, true to yourself life, then you better take advantage of it because time goes by pretty freaking quick. Yeah, absolutely. I was uh, working for a major Wall Street firm uh, during the financial crisis. And without making this story super long, one of the people that I managed um, was having a really tough time financially and for his clients, a wife, young kids, wonderful guy, talented, just a, a beautiful human being, but he was under so much stress that he decided the only way out was to jump off a building. And it was absolutely horrible. And what was just floored me, and to this day, I still shake my head saying, I can't believe I didn't understand this before was before a grief counselor could come in and talk to all my employees, I walked around and talked to each of them. And I'd close the door and I'd say, geez, man, Jennifer, can you imagine, you know, that this guy did that? And then, then every single person told me a story, first person, mm-hmm. of having had suicide in their family, in their, with a friend, with a loved one, with a classmate, with whatever. And I'm just like, what? How has everybody had interaction with suicide? And I'm just like, oh my goodness. And so I think that longer we live, we can either be more in denial about death or we can maybe have a better understanding that it is inevitable and we really don't know. And you better try to live on purpose because if you do sit there and go, oh shit, it's over, excuse me, oh, oh shoot, it's over. Um, I'm just saying, if you if you get to the point, and not all of us are lucky enough, right? But if you get to the point where you go, I can look back and say, I either did or didn't do my best and live my best life. Oftentimes, I think if we don't have that distinct awareness and friendship with death, then we're not going to live our best lives. We're just not because we're in denial about it. 
Absolutely. Absolutely. It's, I mean, there's so many books that I have read now, whether it's around the funeral topic or just death, dying, bereavement. I mean, the top of one coming to mind right now in what you're talking about is the top five regrets of the dying. And it's all about not having spent time with their loved ones, you know, living life with no regrets that they didn't, you know, that they spent more time with family as opposed to in work. And we see it every day, every, like every day working in funeral home and working with people. Only last night there was a service for a lady who died with breast cancer far too young. She was the same age as me. It was a very emotional service, leaving behind two lovely, gorgeous kids. And I have friends who've had breast cancer who are still struggling with it. My parents, and I, exactly to your point about suicide, cancer and suicide seem to be the two most prevalent forms of death where we're all touched by them. And when I say, you know, there's obviously more prevalent death, you know, ways that we die, but those two seem to have so much trauma attached to them. Whether it's you've gone through cancer and you've survived, it affects everybody in the family and everybody who knows and loves you. Suicide, the same thing. And I've worked, unfortunately, many of both of those cases where there was a suicide. Um, oh my God, it was an absolutely horrific one two weeks ago. And it was a young man. He was only 18. And again, to the outsider looking in, had the whole world the whole world, no reason whatsoever. But there was clearly something. And it was just so heartbreaking to watch that family just beat themselves up and just blame themselves, each of them individually. So we really focused on the service and trying to talk about that part of it. But so like your book, it's showing in some ways it's like, I think it's Bonnie something, I can't remember, but the five regrets of the dying, you've almost taken sort of 15 stories of people's experience with cancer right that's mm -hmm. effectively mm -hmm. this one that I did last night this lady who passed away from breast cancer one of my good friends is the exact same age as her who's been battling it for years now I mean I'd say at least six years um and then just in the news back home in uh the UK the um there was a celebrity who just passed away with breast cancer and she was only diagnosed a year before so there's just so many different stories and like as you said it's the gentleman from last night and she was on the she was feeling better everything and then suddenly that was it so it's just it is it's such a I don't want to say fascinating disease because it's probably giving it too much credit you know when I want to discredit it but it's so so serious it's so it touches us all in so many different ways so you know your book I haven't read it yet I'm looking forward to reading it because it's like one of the things that I try and do with the Clam Reaper and with what I do at Muldowney Memorials and stuff for a living is we're all so unique. That's the one thing I've been harping on about since I started this over 10 years ago is that every single one of us are unique. Our, my TED talk was about this. Our thumbprints, our tongues, our iris. There's so many parts of us. The chances of being born, I think, are like 400 trillion, you know, to one. You know, it's mind boggling. And yet we we go through life on repeat and like sheep and just you know and the, and it's the same I guess that's part of what I'm trying to shake up about the funeral industry but the same thing with cancer we're all treated to to a certain extent in the exact same way we go through the motions but it doesn't impact us the same way so is there a story yeah, in the 15 that you can maybe talk to that oh, give the yeah there's a ton, there's a ton of stories in there both uh, with the book participants and with the people I met along the way. And it's kind of crazy. But what I wanted to do with the 15 stories was I didn't want the stories to be about death. 
and I didn't want them to all be people that had cancer. I wanted to include those, but I also wanted to be survivors, loved ones, patients, uh, nurses, doctors. I have a couple of doctors in there, um, a medical professional, a chief medical officer for a, for a health plan, just so that I could get kind of a 360 view on cancer and then the traumas that, that came with them. So I think by giving people a look at all these different types of people, young, old, cancer one time, cancer five times. One is just about the fear of cancer. Um, and so, but each one of the stories is is inspirational and unique. And I am absolutely certain that each one of the stories, um, the reader can scratch their head and go, oh my gosh, I, I, I've run into that situation before. Or now, now I, oh, that triggers something in me where maybe I know something more than what I knew before. And each one of the what each one of the stories does that. I think that what's amazing and what you hope to be able to see in what you do is Terry's story. So Terry, I had a hard time writing her story. I'm gonna hope she doesn't listen to the podcast because when I was talking to her, I kept thinking that it was pitiful. She was pitiful. I had a lot of pity for her, and I felt like sympathetic. I I felt like, oh my gosh, I don't know how to not make this person's life seem just absolutely onerous and pathetic. And I couldn't imagine how rough she had it. And uh, this is while I'm talking to her, I'm feeling this. So imagine I'm trying to break through to the reader eventually to hear people's stories like Terry and not judge them as you know, be, oh, I've got so much sympathy or, oh, you know, it's so pitiful because people are so much more than that. But I was geared to thinking that way of her. So she went to a high school where, uh, same high school as my wife, and that's how I met her, where it was only a hundred girls in the private uh, high school uh, graduating class. Five of them had cancer. Five out of a hundred had, had gotten cancer and several had, you know, of those five had died. And we were going to name the that her chapter, what the F is in the holy water, but we, we decided that that might turn some people off. But her story is basically her family kind of abandons her. She's a black sheep. Um, she wants to go off and get her education across the country. And her family says, oh, if you do that, you're on your own. Screw you. So she's on her own at 18. She gets cancer a few years later. She, she becomes a nurse. She gets cancer a few years later and it's bad. She has to get a bone marrow transplant in order to try to survive. Her fiance, when she's on the way to the air, to the hospital, calls her up and says, yep, uh, guess what? Uh, I've gotten somebody else pregnant. They need me. I wish I could be strong for you. I can't be there. You're on your own. Oh, can you imagine on the way to the hospital? She had to take a taxi because he wasn't there to drive her and he, she gets this call in the taxi. So can you imagine how lonely of a place that is? So she calls her college roommate who doesn't answer the phone and has now, when, when she finds out that, that Terry has cancer, can't handle it and disappears forever. Okay, fine. So she makes it through the cancer experience. She gets into a wellness group and a support group to try to deal with the trauma. Every single person in the support group dies. They all have the same cancer. Eventually, over the next several years, every single one of them passes away. And she's sitting here thinking, why me? Why am I living? So she gets, of course, the cancer comes back. She has to have another bone marrow transplant. This is 10 years from the time that her first bone marrow transplant happened. Very rare that she could get a second one, but she did. 
she's kind of uh, reconciled with her family a little bit. So her mom takes care of her, but her now boyfriend is going to come take care of her for a week, calls her up from the airport and says, Terry, I'm not strong like you. I can't come see you. I, I'm, I'm bailing him out of here. So oh how my God, I know. So what does this woman have to live for? Everybody that's ever come into her life has abandoned her when she's needed them. She doesn't have a significant other. She's not going to be able to have kids. She doesn't have a great family. I mean, like what in the world can you say about this woman other than, oh my God, this is super pathetic and super sad and su and just, it's going to bring everybody down and God, this poor woman. And we were talking about it and what, what she was wrapping her brain around was this thing of the odds that everybody always gave her. You're going to have 5% odds of living. You got a 7% odds of living, a 10, 10% chance of making it through this thing or 5%. And she goes, you know what? I'm going to start thinking about this. Everything's 50, 50. I'm either going to have, uh, I'm going to live or I'm going to die. It's 50, 50 chance. I'm either going to find love or I'm not 50, 50 chance. I, I'm either going to make it through this surgery or not 50, 50 chance. And I love that idea. Mm -hmm. And so at the end of it, she says to me, I go, Terry, how in the world, like, why do you in the world do you get up every day? Like, how, like, how, how are you able to? And she said, look, man, she goes, every day I get up and I go, I'm either going to have a good day or I'm not. And I'm like, wow, how incredible is that? How unbelievably inspiring and incredible is it that this woman who's been through so much only wants to get up every day to see if she's got a 50% chance to have a great day. Yeah. And I'm like, holy shit, I got no problems. I got no anything. And I shouldn't have pity or a bad about what she's gone through. I should be motivated mm -hmm. and feel inspired by what she goes through. Cause I don't wake up every day going, I got a 50, 50 chance to have a great day. I don't, I don't think that I measure it that way. Yeah. I just hope sometimes I'm going to have a good day. Right. She wakes up every day going, hey, it's a 50-50 chance. I'm going to have a great day. Imagine that. So, you know, sometimes when somebody's going through something and we want to feel sympathetic, maybe we shouldn't feel sympathy for them. Maybe we should try to figure out what, how they get through what they're going through and maybe try to copy it. Mm. Do you know, like I wanted, I thought when I was interviewing her, Jennifer, I wanted to be less like her. By the time I was done, I wanted to be more like her. Yeah. Well, I, do you know, it's, what her story is to me, it comes down to, and I'm, I'm actually always preaching it lately. I've noticed is perspective. Everything can change in a moment. If you change your perspective of something, it's, you can, you can look at something exactly like that hot glass, half full or half empty. There are days that, you know, what I do drags me down, emotionally drains me, you know, whatever it might be, or something's not working out and I wish I could do better at it or whatever it might be. And every single one of us battles that. doesn't matter what your job is. doesn't matter how perfect your family life might appear to be, how perfect your life in general looks. We all get our ups and downs. But I think the difference, and I, sometimes my friends call me sort of positive Pollyanna because sometimes I can be a little like, turn that frown upside down and do I believe in that sort of fake positivity sometimes you do have to fake it until you make it as in sometimes I do have to be like just put a smile on get the endorphins going and it'll trick your brain into thinking you're happy and then you'll because it really does all come down to perspective I you can look at something even the COVID situation that's happened in the last two years you can look at it with pure disdain pure hatred pure anger sadness whatever way you want to look at it 
or we can look at it opportunity it brought us closer together in you know while physically apart I certainly was on zooms and talking to people a lot more than I ever was you know it made us stay more in our homes anything at all any topic any anything you can perspective is is everything and I do find you know sometimes I do I put motivational quotes and things on my Instagram and stuff like that and you know some people you might have I might have a bad day one day and you might get oh you should practice what you preach it's a daily battle for all of us and for Terry she's getting up and it's a daily thing that she has to say to herself I've got a 50 50 chance but she's not wrong it could anything could happen to any of us at any point you could have sat in the chair opposite her feeling sorry for her feeling you know sympathy for her and you could have walked out and gotten killed stone dead by a truck like that's the reality of it that's the reality of life and death and so you know somebody could battle cancer their entire lives and 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 here's actually the other black and white is somebody could battle cancer the entire lives. You could be feeling sorry for them and you could be empathizing with them. And not to say that we shouldn't because ugh, it is hideous, but it's all about perspective. Another person in parallel to them could never have had cancer touch their lives, but they might have a miserable existence just because they're a moany hole that gets up every morning and they make everyone's life hell. And they're the person who beeps on the horn and, you know, doesn't say thank you to the bus driver and curses you out if you walk in front of them or whatever. Like, you know, given that opportunity, I think I'd much rather be the person with the brighter attitude and just battling every day. And sometimes it is, it's, it's our internal battles that allow us to be the fighters and the people and the personality that we are. So I, couldn't agree more with you and it is so interesting to me what I do for a living because I get to meet people and have these stories daily and sometimes exactly that like I feel so sad like I was at one this morning and I was officiating it and I was crying during one of the songs and because I was super emotional because I haven't been home to Ireland in two years and it's breaking my heart because I want to see my parents and I want to see my new niece and nephew. And um, But as I sat there um, during the song and I looked at the casket, I thought, but how lucky, I could sit here and wallow in self-pity. And I was, I did allow myself, and I do think that's important, is to allow ourselves the grief and let that emotion out. But then I turned it around and I said, but aren't I lucky that I can hop on a Zoom straight away after this and talk to my mom? This lady is never going to have another conversation with her mom. And so it really is. It's just, it's all about perspective. And that's so hard to say to somebody like, like the one I did last night where, you know, it's a husband with two small kids and he's just lost his wife. Like, am I going to turn around and start telling him to turn that frown upside down? Absolutely not. But it's all about perspective. You can, and I've said this even in my first book, I would rather people be thankful for the, at the time, 33 years they knew me than the 60 that they won't if I passed away in that moment. And I think most of us as human beings feel similar that we'd rather leave our mark in a positive way on this planet than anything else. So kudos to you. And that book sounds amazing. I'm definitely going to have to. Thanks. Yeah. It is an interesting set of, of ideas that you that you bring up and you talk about. And I certainly purposefully focus on that word perspective. In fact, one time I was running in the desert and I spent four hours in 115 degree heat running in the first half of a 50 mile race where the only thing I thought of was the word perspective and what 
what it meant in all of its major crazy forms. But I'm not a, a preachy kind of guy, but I think that one thing I've learned for sure, I have lived a, a pretty incredible life. I, I think a lot of people have lived more incredible lives, but I'm pretty happy with the lessons I've learned. I've had m people making millions and millions of dollars that have been under my employment. They make millions of dollars. I, I've seen them break down in fear in tears in front of me because they're afraid of, of something. I've seen the least capable person conquer the most capable things. I've learned that when you walk into a room, it's not trite. I'm telling you, this is an absolute truth. When you walk into a big enough room, there's always somebody that has it better. There's always somebody that has it worse. There's always somebody better looking. There's somebody richer. There's somebody poor. There's somebody had a busier day than you. There's somebody that's better at doing things than you. I don't care what you want to do. You want to measure yourself against other people. You can go through that exercise and it's an unending exercise all day long. And guess what? You're never going to be the pinnacle of the top of anything. You're never going to be the, the bottom of the depth of anything ever. Every, somebody's got it worse. Somebody's got it better. That's the truth. And so if you stop doing that and just saying, am I being the best that I can be? Am I doing the best that I can do? Then you're good. I mean, I'm telling you, then you're good. That comes with forgiveness. It comes with self-forgiveness. You know, I used to beat myself up for doing the wrong thing or not doing the right thing. And I don't do that anymore because if you're trying, you're doing your best you can do, right? You're just learning and you're growing. And if you're looking forward and you're hoping to do things better for other people and hoping to do things, you know, less bad for yourself, whatever, as long as you're, you've got the right perspective, as long as you got some empathy, as long as you're paying attention and you're grounded and you're listening and you're heart centered just live your life, man. Stop worrying about all this other nonsense. Just go about living your life. Be the best you. Yeah. And I know that sounds preachy, but it's, it's, you know, it's true. It's, it's, it's really absolutely true. Yeah. It's like, it's really and utterly true. It's we've only, we, it doesn't matter what your family situation it doesn't matter if you're a mom or a dad and you've kids that rely on you and it none of that matters the only thing you've got control of is you in your physical body and your mental mind and your spirit that's the only thing you can control over this in this life and even at that you don't get 100 percent control over that but i actually want to touch on just because I'm reading, reading it at the moment, I try and read sort of business books, sometimes funeral book, and I like to lighten up then with some fiction because sometimes that can get all a bit sort of, again, all about perspective. I'm reading Tim Ferriss, one of his books, because I want to come back to all of your accomplishments. Like you've done a couple of, as you do, 24 hour runs. Are you insane? I just want to that right. yes. you... I think I could be, okay. I could be technically classified as good, insane. Good, yeah, just so we're clear. I did a marathon yeah. and I did it. Oh God, is it 15 years ago now? And I will never do it again. As in, it was an incredible experience. I'm delighted right. I did it. Um, my grandmother actually passed away the weekend. We were super close. I actually talk about that in a lot of my TED talks or when I'm interviewed because it was an absolutely astounding impact on me and why I do what I do. But I remember running and I hit the wall at the 18th mile and I started having panic attacks, which I had never, ever suffered with before. And my grandmother had gone into hospital with panic attacks and she never came oh, out. No. And um, at the time that I hit it, hit the 18th mile, hit the wall. Apparently her funeral was happening 
right at the same time in Ireland yeah I super believe in all that and I, I remember when I finally crossed the finish line I felt like I'd carried a, a, a boulder for the last like what is it 26.2 so the last 8.2 miles yeah. Yeah. so I'm fascinated by people who do this and enjoy it so what's wrong well, with you I, 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 there is something wrong no I do enjoy it but I'll tell you what it it is a very easy way to constantly prove that we're capable of more than what we think we are. And going on that theme we talked about earlier, Jennifer, where maybe I did things for other people or to not for myself, but to please others or impress others or whatever. I want to see what I'm capable of. And did I set my goals high enough for me? Do you know, like, yeah. like I always thought I did a good job because I was happy with, you know, I wanted to fulfill what I was trying to do. I really wasn't. I was trying to fulfill what, what I needed to for the job. Yeah. If I was trying to fulfill what I needed to for me, I would have done 10 times as much because I, I hold myself to a much higher standard. And so as long as I can, I'm going to continue to see how far I can go, how much I can do. And I'll tell you, I remember if I could tell you a super quick story. Yeah. I remember the exact moment when that thought came into my head. I was doing the first endurance athletic event I did. Don't laugh at the thought of me in, in spandex on rollerblades, but I did an 87 mile rollerblade race. 87 miles. Because I'm an idiot. <laughs> So I did it in Georgia, up and down all these hills, right? And I was nowhere near capable of doing it. It was so far above what I could do. And you think, oh, rollerblading. No, you try to put on rollerblades and rollerblade for six or eight or nine hours. It's impossible. I, I so, don't think I'd manage five minutes. So I, I know. kudos to so you. Yeah, so I'm heading up this hill on my rollerblades, and I'm going side by side with each foot. And I, I literally, I can't, I can't move. I can't take another step. And I turn my wheels perpendicular to the hill so I don't fly down. And I'm bent over on my knees and I'm out of breath and my legs are burning. And I'm sweating so profusely that it's white. The sweat is white from all the salt, all, you know, all the salt coming out. And it's making this little line on the asphalt below. And I'm looking down there and I'm seeing this line. And I'm just going, oh my God, I can't take another step. Like, it's not possible. But I still have like 50 odd miles to go. Wow. So I'm either going to quit, at which point I'm always going to know I'm a quitter, or I could go just take one step past that line that, that's right there on the on the ground. If you take one step past there, you're going to find out something new about yourself. Everything you know about yourself goes away. You find out something new. And then I go, then you take another step, and that's something new. Every time I go further and mm -hmm. harder and push myself to another level is something I discover about. I've never known that about myself. Yeah. Right? And so uh, that what makes, makes me do those things. So for this book, when I say I want to connect people through stories, I figure what better way to connect all the people in the story than to jump on my bicycle and go see the people for the first time since I had been talking to them on the phone for a few years. So I did a 4,700 mile bike ride in 45 days. So about 120 miles a day. Wow. From LA down, up and down through Texas, down Florida, make it a left turn and finish them in your second home in New York City. I finished there. So I did 4,700 miles in 45 days, like every single day getting up and, you know, biking 100, 120 miles. By the end of it, I was phys physically, I was a wreck, but, and pushed myself 
probably as hard as I could push myself physically, but every single day on that bike ride, I met tons of people who reinforced this idea that they don't know how to talk to people about what, you know, what they're going through about the emotional side of this trauma. And so it was, it was, it was pretty inspirational. Yeah, I can imagine. And, you know, again, I'm, I'm nearly kind of pulling us back to you and I are so different in terms of like, you know, and I, I joke and I mentioned in jest, but are you insane? But one of the things I learned from doing the marathon was I was so proud of myself for having done it, for having achieved it. I had no inclination and have no inclination of doing any more, but that's okay too. We each have these different boundaries that we can push and challenge ourselves. And it can be the smallest little thing. It really can. It doesn't have to be major marathons or anything like that. It's each giving us our own little challenges and our own little things to overcome. And it's, you know, whether it's these people who their challenge to overcome every day is to get out of bed. As you said, put that one step out of the bed. Maybe that's Monday. Maybe Tuesday is put both feet on the floor. Maybe Wednesday is walk to the fridge. <laughs> Something I regularly do. Thursday, you know, it's about taking it and putting it into your own perspective, putting it into your own life, applying it to yourself because you've only got one life. So stop living it in the minds of the media. And you should look like this and you should look like that and you should do this and you should do that and I mean, if we were all the same carbon copies of each other, it'd be a very boring world we'd be living in. So, you know, it'd be, it'd be terrible. And you know what? I, I say every day I meet people where I go, man, I have no idea how they do that. I get to think about it like you, I go, oh my God, being around death and wanting to throw all these you know, planning for people's deaths and just like being uh, involved in, in what would be a little bit of celebration sometimes, but mostly it's just devastation and just wretchedness of emotion and and then you and you look forward to that every hour. how the hell do you do that right so we all have that how do we do that that's the thing like you know people look at me and go dude you know because i got like i'm doing an iron man in 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 two weeks in in tennessee a couple of days ago i went for an 18 mile run and it was 102 degrees out people go dude why in the world? I could never do that. I go, no, you could. You're just choosing not to. It's not better or worse. It's just different. I'm just doing what I do. You do what you do. Because I don't understand you and you don't understand me, but we're not supposed to. You're living your life. I'm living mine. Don't worry about it. Exactly. You know? That's exactly and it. So, and that's what makes the world go round. It does. But I, I, I really have learned, Jennifer, that me, living a meaningful life is really if you're just living it on purpose. Just, Just living it on purpose right? Living your life on purpose. And the famous author, Anne Rand, she, she had this concept that um, your choice to do something is really a choice to not do a thousand other things. Uh, you could be doing something else than talking to me right now. And that's, I appreciate that. And I could be doing other things, but talking to you right now. And I appreciate that. If you're going to choose to do the things that you do, you might as well do them on purpose. You might as well do them authentically grounded in the best possible way when you can, because this hour that we're spending together, how much time it's never, we're never going to get that hour back. So we might, but you know that more than anybody, if we can live on purpose, if we can, if we can be our most authentic and best selves for us and do what really makes us happy, uh, gives us meaning, 
then that is everything. That is absolutely. And I think that's the perfect line to end with. (laughs) Absolutely to live on purpose. David, I could sit here and chat to you all all day and night but like it's a fascinating life you've chosen and your perspective on life and I think everybody should check out this book I'm certainly going to pick up a copy and we'll leave all the links for where everybody can get both books is there just the two uh just those two unless you like to read about business so okay well I do so (laughs) I do I love me I'm reading I have Tim Ferriss's book the humongous one the secrets of titans or something so I'm I'm going through that sort of chapter by chapter and the sum I love and some I'm not really sold on yeah then I have what have I got I've got meditations by Marcus Aurelius I've got uh, Sinead O'Connor an Irish woman I'm reading her memoir at the moment so I like to keep kind of a few different when it comes to my non-fiction books I like to kind of take a slice yeah. of each of them and then my fiction I get right in there yeah but everyone should check out your books we'll leave all the links and thank you so much for coming on and being a guest and you know hopefully we'll have you back on again when the book is a bestseller and yeah well it did it did hit amazon number one bestseller in its category that's amazing year, congratulations so, yeah, it was well, thank you it was the number one cancer book uh, at the end of the year so even um you know even i'm just yeah. kind of already thinking like yeah, even if you know potentially in the future maybe in a month or two could get you on with one of your one of the stories maybe one of the um, yes. interviewees oh. that would be amazing awesome they're they're great stories yeah that would be amazing and you know given what i do for a living as well i think it could be open up a really interesting conversation and a lot of people are going through that and might want to hear the different perspectives that the three of us might have so we will keep everybody informed about that but um david thank you so much for being my guest and yeah, yeah we'll 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 get back to you soon all right and keep doing what you're doing i love the idea of uh of you bringing um more uh lightness and and kind of um a purposeful action towards towards death and the celebrating of life and all of that bringing death out of the darkness (laughs) yeah and i'm gonna i'm gonna live off of uh even if sometimes i have to wear black (laughs) yeah right but I'm going to live off of, I just spent an hour with the Glam Reaper. I'm going to live off that for, for weeks. You're certainly weeks. not getting that hour back. So <laughs> no, I'm going to be bragging about it. So thanks for your time. I definitely take a lot of inspiration from um, David and the people that he spoke to. And as I said, I do have his book in my possession right now. So I will be following up with an episode with David and all those people and their stories. So um, I'm looking forward to getting tucked into it. Any guests or anybody that you think we should interview on the Glam Reaper podcast, please go ahead and email us glamreaperpodcast at gmail.com.